didn't even have a television. Um, so I grew up without, you know, any movies or TV that I uh, was exposed to was always at friends' houses or family members' houses, uh, not at my own house. Um, I grew up kind of on a steady diet of, you know, very classic literature, classical music, that type of thing. Um, that being said, anytime I was exposed to, to films or TV growing up, you know, stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, you know, Back to the Future, it just totally captured my imagination, blew my mind, and I was just, I, I became obsessed with movies and television. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to have you, and I'm looking forward to kind of learning a little bit more about you and about your writing process and um, what you're doing now in the industry. So thank you. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, definitely an honor to be here. Great. Thank you. Uh, well, let's get started. Let me Tell me a little bit about what got you interested in storytelling and writing. So growing up, I weirdly was, if you were to know anything about my childhood, this would have been the last thing you would have expected me to do with uh, my life as far as a career. Um, I grew up in a family that was uh, pretty traditional, so much so that we didn't even have a television. Um, so I grew up without, you know, any movies or TV that I uh, was exposed to was always at friends' houses or family members' houses, uh, not at my own house. Um, I grew up kind of on a steady diet of, you know, very classic literature, classical music, that type of thing. Um, that being said, anytime I was exposed to to films or TV growing up, you know, stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Wars, you know, Back to the Future, it just totally captured my imagination, blew my mind, and I was just, I, I became obsessed with movies and television. And the, the kind of, you know, the gap between, you know, my love for that and you know, obviously going into it as a, as a profession was, was pretty wide because I grew up in Western Wisconsin, uh, kind of in the middle of the country. Um, I didn't know anybody who was a, you know, professional artist. Uh, I didn't realize that that was a job that you could do, um, that, you know, never really crossed my mind that, oh, there's actually people out there who make this for a living, uh, until I started watching a show called Access Hollywood and they would occasionally interview, you know, directors and they'd show, um, you know, behind the scenes footage of uh, movies as they were being made. And so that kind of, you know, that really sucked me in. And that's where, you know, kind of struck me that this was, you know, was possible to actually do this for a living. So, um, yeah. So after that, I uh, knew I had to go to film school. Of course, if you go to film school, usually it's in California, which having grown up with winter for most of my life, I was only too happy to come to uh, sunny LA uh, where we get, you know, 300 days of sunshine a year. Um, and I've, I've been here ever since. Awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. I think it's really cool to kind of see everybody's journey, you know, and, and I, sometimes we feel like there's, at least for now, now I feel like the industry is so saturated too. So sometimes it's hard to really break in there. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like what you're like, I know it's like you're going to school, but then there's like a point where you got to like, I'm gonna do this professionally and like getting in there. How, how did that work for you? You're, you're right in that it is, uh, you know, everybody's journey is different and, you know, people start from very different places in the world. And, you know, it is kind of one of the, one of my favorite things about this industry is that it does attract 
dreamers from every corner of the of the country, every corner of the globe, um, to, to you know kind of come out here to to pursue those dreams and to do what they believe they've been made to do. Um, but yeah, you're right in, in kind of pinning that there is you know there is a, a a big difference between film school and Hollywood. Uh, they the two experiences could not be more different, honestly, in my experience. Um, yeah. I was actually not, I wasn't the best film student, um, to be totally honest. I, in college, I was doing a lot of other stuff uh, besides making movies. You know, I played lacrosse. I was a, you know, part of the, I wrote the yearbook. I wrote for the paper. I was an RA. You know, I did all this other stuff. Um, and it just sort of hit me when I was a senior, you know, entering my senior year, like, oh, gosh, um, I'm going to have a degree in this. I should probably, you know, decide what I'm going to do with that. Um, so I, uh, I did a program called LAFSC where I, you spend the, the semester actually living in LA and you get an internship at you know, a production company or an agency or a studio. You know, they, they really do a good job of, uh, or did a good job then, you know, my, my experience was uh, they did a great job of really um, you know, kind of giving you the baptism by fire experience of what it's like to actually live in LA and actually have you know, some access or exposure to the actual industry that you know that Hollywood is. Um, so I had a an internship at a uh, literary agency, and that was really uh, a big kind of a transformative um, experience for me because uh, one of the, one of my favorite things that I got to do there was I got to read all of the uh, all of their clients' um, scripts. That's something that I would do on my lunch breaks, and you know, I just it was so cool to be able to read all this material that you know, I'd never had access to, you know, before. And obviously it's, it's a lot different these days. You know, anybody who uh, is in that position, the position I was in 15 years ago, um, you know, there's so much available material that you can get your hands on. Um, if you want to be a writer, you know, just by, you know, working Google, um, you can find hundreds and thousands of scripts, uh, which it was a lot uh, more difficult to get your hands on the stuff back then. And, yeah, really just, um, I just love reading, you know, the work of all these professionals. And that was kind of pivotal in, in, you know, helping me decide that this is actually what I wanted to, you know, this is how, what I wanted to give a shot at, uh, at least for, you know, I, I gave myself a, um, a time limit, frankly, where I, I told myself, all right, I'm going to give myself five years. And if I haven't, you know, made anything happen professionally or, you know, if I've really, truly given my absolute best to this and I still haven't, you know, there's been zero progress at all. You know, everybody has hated my scripts. Every, I've never gotten a lead. I've never, you know, made, I've made zero progress. Then I'll reconsider it and maybe, you know, go be an accountant or something or, or a teacher, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to say, you know, within that five years, I, I had begun the option stuff and, and I think sold something about four years in so cool what was that project that you sold first or like your your breakout project so that was actually it was the second script that i that i wrote with my writing partner kenny um and it actually we sold it as a pitch um it was a pitch for um, a version of the david and goliath story for the bible uh that was kind of in the in this the big kind of bombastic style of 300 uh so 300 had just come out a couple years prior and we thought that that was a, you know, that style would be a really cool uh, filter to sort of play over, honestly, one of the most compelling stories in human history that, you know, everybody knows the global pre-awareness for that is about as good as you can get. 
and uh, yeah, so lucky for us, uh, Sony thought the same thing and, and they bought it in the room. That's fantastic. Were you nervous with the pitch or how did you go into the, How did you prepare for that? Honestly, wasn't. Um, how Kenny and I prepare for pitches is pretty fastidious. It's pretty in-depth. Um, and by the time we, you know, I guess these days we're on a Zoom when we're pitching. Uh, so it's a little different. Um, I, I kind of prefer the in-person energy of, you know, being able to be in a room with somebody. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we, you know, we practice it to a point where, you know, we just know uh, literally to the word who's saying what. And it's, it's kind of like a, you know, it's like a 25 minute performance, basically. Could you elaborate a little bit on how you guys work together as your, as writing partners? What does that process look like? I think it, it, um, the best way to explain it is that we're one of us is weak, the other one's strong. Um, and I think we're, we're both fantastic writers. Uh, if I do say so myself, um, <laughs> uh, and then we were actually doing fine. You know, I was, uh, actually kind of, I was writing more in the comedy space before I started writing with Kenny. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, things were going great, but then I, we co-wrote something together um, that was a passion project of ours that we had, you know, we both love uh, Davy Crockett, as you can see right there. Um, nice. And we, Kenny was writing a, a Davy Crockett script and uh, he was stuck, you know, where we all get stuck, which is at the end of act two. And he's like, I don't know how to finish this thing. Can you come and give it, you know, read it, give me some notes, uh, which I did. And he's like, great. Now, how about you write it? <laughs> I was like, all right, man. Um, so yeah, we joined forces on that Davy Crockett script. And mm. uh, it really, um, it was a really fantastic experience to be able to write with somebody of his caliber and to see what he was going for in certain places where maybe it wasn't, he hadn't, you know, written something as clearly as he could have, or, or I could, I knew I could add a cool line of dialogue. Um, so we just, it, you know, like the best partnerships, we made each other better. And it was something where we looked at the final product and knew, you know, the whole here is greater than the sum of, of the parts. And uh, Kenny is, he is fantastic at structure. He's fantastic at concept. He's probably one of the most prolific uh, writers I've ever met when it comes to just generating a lot of ideas, a lot of material. Um, he has an absolutely encyclopedic knowledge of cinema, uh, which, you know, isn't necessarily on my, my strong suit. Um, yeah. But yeah, where I would say I'm more of a, you know, I love, you know, a high concept like the, like the next guy or gal, um, but my strength is more in character and dialogue. Um, yeah. is probably where I'm most comfortable. But when you, you know, when you put all those pieces together, uh, again, it's a situation where I think we're, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. I think that's really important. I, cause I really enjoy high concept films as well, but I think sometimes, you know, they run into that problem where it's a great concept or a great idea, but the characters suffer. They're, they're kind of, you know, 2d characters and there's not much sub substance to the story. Totally agree. Um, I like to, we have this saying that we use a lot, which is called epic and scope intermittent approach. And mm, I like that. That's, that's how we like to approach really big films because no matter how great the concept is, no matter how kind of jaw dropping the effects are, you know, how cinema worthy the, the scope of everything is. Um, if you're not identifying with the person who's, you know, in the frame, if you don't care about them, then it just, it gets boring real fast. And I think, you know, everybody's had that experience in a movie theater where you're, you know, everything's blowing up or whatever. And you look over and somebody's, sleeping 
Right. And it's like, well, that <laughs> they probably didn't buy into the character journey. So right. <laughs> it's your job as a writer to make them care. <laughs> hmm. What are some of your tips for creating a compelling character or when you're approaching a character? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think to me, the best characters reflect reality. Um, you know, and that's, I realize that sounds pretty general and trite, but uh, I think, um, you know, there's resonance with traits that you see around you in the world that are either admirable or not admirable. Um, I do think, I, I probably personally respond most to characters who kind of have latent potential that gets activated through the journey of the film. Um, so if you think about a, a movie like Romancing the Stone, um, the lead character in that is, you know, this incredible writer who's written about all, all these adventures, right? He's written all these adventure stories that are, you know, incredibly, you know, exciting and journeys to far-flung places with crazy characters, but she's never, she's kind of a cat lady, right? Like she's never really left her apartment. She just holds up there writing and imagining these things, but never goes out and does any of it. And of course, that's the journey she has to go on uh, through the course of that movie to become a fully realized version of herself. And I think that they're, you know, those are, again, those are, you know, characters that I respond to are, are um, characters who seem like real people because we all have areas of our life where, you know, we have latent potential, right? Potential that's sitting there that hasn't been activated yet. And in order to become the best version of ourselves, you have to embrace the difficulty of unearthing that potential and bringing it to life. And I think that's why, you know, another classic example would be Lord of the Rings, right? Frodo, who is just kind of a nobody, but he's going to go off to save the world or Luke Skywalker. Um, so I really, I really respond to characters that, um, that strive to do really difficult things and overcome, you know, obstacles internally and externally uh, to, to kind of win the day or reach the end of the movie. <laughs> Great. Um, and how does that kind of, how do you incorporate the plot with your characters? Uh, do you do characters first normally and then plot, or do you do a plot first and then insert characters? It's a little bit to me of a, that's a little bit of a chicken and chicken and the egg thing. Mm, yeah. In my experience, uh, a concept sort of um, implies, it implies a character journey within it. Uh, and I don't know another way to describe it other than it's just, you know, if I hear a concept, I immediately kind of my brain autofills it with a character. And I immediately know a half dozen things about what would make a great hero for that specific journey. And I don't know if that, you know, if it's just pattern recognition from, you know, watching thousands of movies and reading thousands of scripts. Um, but I, that's just kind of how my brain <laughs> It just it kind of auto populates things um, where if I if I hear a concept I'll kind of immediately get like oh okay I see what the character uh, would would be or would need to be to make that a really compelling to really breathe life into that concept. What are some of your favorite things about the writing process? Well, look, least favorite I think any <laughs> um, most writers I'm sure have the same. <laughs> we all have the same answer, which is it's really darn hard. Uh, and it can, I think the, the hardest part about it is that you, for me at least, um, I'm almost never not working. Yeah. 
if that makes sense. Because like yeah. my mind is always spinning on something. Right. And you can sit, you know, a writer can be sitting in an airport staring off into space, but they're they're working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you know, it sort of never that process never shuts off. Um, so that that can be a, you know, I, that's not my favorite part of it. <laughs> um of course, my favorite part, you know, would be like any writer, uh, when you are, you know, kind of squarely in a flow state and every, the world just shuts off and suddenly you have been writing for eight hours and you have written 20 pages or something. And, you know, you're just kind of keyed into something that's, you know, you feel like you're accessing something that's bigger than yourself. Um, you know, and you feel like you're simply a portal for whatever is coming through you. And that the story is is telling itself through you. Um, I think that is, you know, anytime I can spend um, any amount of time whatsoever in that zone, uh, I I really uh, strive to, you know, try to reach that as often as possible. Uh, otherwise, you know, otherwise it's you know just work, and that's totally fine too. Some days it's just heavy lifting, and that's just life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, to me, I'm, I'm really obsessed with big ideas and screenwriting is one of the most rewarding ways that I've found to, um, to kind of give life to the things I think about. And, you know, that being able to do that for a living is just an incredible blessing. What's some of the best advice that you ever heard? something that I heard probably early on in college um, and didn't really take it to um, take it to heart till, you know, again, the kind of senior year of college where I started taking screenwriting a little more seriously, uh, but it's just uh, writer's right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is the best advice that, that a writer should ever need to hear. Um, and it's kind of, it's something I always, I always comes to mind when somebody asks me about, you know, my career and, you know, they're thinking about doing that, or, you know, they have a son or daughter who wants to go to Hollywood. And, and my first question is, I was about like, well, they say they want to be a writer, do they write? How many things have they written? How many things have they finished? Because, um, you know, you notice that out, out here in, in Hollywood, a lot of people talk about the script, you know, how their great script. And very often it's easier to, um, it's easier to talk about something that isn't done um, as opposed to actually sitting down to do it. So that's, to me, the proof's in the pudding, writer's right. You know, it's, it's just, you can't give up. I think that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of people get self, are self-conscious or, cause it is, like you said, it is very difficult. Um, and sometimes it's hard to see the payoff. You know, you can be writing for a long time before you actually get something sold, or whether you're able to be able to pitch something, and that process is can be really long. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that you it requires. I mean, look, it kind of for in order to preserve your own um, psychological well-being, every writer should have. You know, you need to have the correct relationship with reality, and the reality of wanting to do this as a job is that it's the numbers you have a better, you and I have a better chance of walking onto the Rams <laughs> literally than we do of earning money this way. Mm. And so I think just to, it's, it's important to disabuse yourself of any kind of Pollyanna-ish notions about the industry or your odds of success here. The odds are not good, man. Like yeah. you are storming the beaches of Normandy here. Um, mm. It's not 
you know, and, and nobody ever who's ever done this has said it's easy. Um, so why should you expect it to be any different for you? So, yeah, I mean, I think as far as, you know, having the right mental attitude towards how long it will take or what it will take, um, one way to look at it that I actually have really taken to heart uh, is from this thing that uh, Conor McGregor said, the uh, UFC guy. And he said this when it was fairly early in his career too. Um, but I remember he said, it was something like, I either, I never lose, I either win or I learn. Mm. And I think that's a really smart way of looking at what other people might perceive to be failures, right? Or, you know, what you might perceive to be failures. And this, look, I've sold a lot of stuff. Um, I've worked in television, I've worked in features, um, but that doesn't mean, like anytime Kenny and I take a pitch meeting, anytime we send a script out, nothing's guaranteed, man. You know, we lose just as much as anybody else. Um, I think the difference is we, you know, A, we're doing so many things that we're probably, you know, we take a, an absurdly high amount of shots on goal. Uh, so mm -hmm. our odds are better probably for getting something in. Um, but then we also just, like you said, we don't quit because that's really the only time you ever really lose is if you quit. And I think, you know, that's up to everybody, right? I'm sure everybody has, you know, um, different uh, points at which they're willing to, to sort of cash out and say like, yeah, you know, I took my swings. And right. look, I've, I've been in those places, you know, even I've been in the WGA for 11 years and for probably, I don't know, seven or eight of those years have been really difficult. And despite being, you know, quote unquote, a professional writer, it's still, there's still times where, you know, it's easy to look at your bank account and be like, well, I don't know, should I, <laughs> is, this, is this year I go back to school or get another job or, you know, so it's, it really is uh, different for everybody. That's really good advice. Yeah. I think knowing, counting, kind of sort of counting the costs before you go into it and then going into it knowing and not being uh, almost like lied to in a sense or like where it's painted with the rosemary brush where it's like, oh, it's going to be amazing. And like, I think going into it with a, a good perspective, I think it's better because you know what you're getting into. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. And I think as with a lot of arenas in our culture today, there's rampant survivorship bias, mm -hmm. right? So you only hear the success stories from the people who do make it, uh, you know, who tend to be rewarded with uh, kind of an outsized amount of, you know, money, fame, whatever, status, whatever. Right. Um, you know, because it is that competitive of an industry. It's a really, really hard thing to be great at. Uh, and there's a lot of people, I think it's, the, the numbers are fairly high. It's over, I believe it's over 60% of WGA members who sell one thing and never work again, Wow. which is really sobering. Wow. Yeah, uh, when you think about that, fair. it's, you know, it's kind of that adage of like, even a, you know, blind squirrel finds a nut once, um, mm. <laughs> doing that again and again is really the difficult part, right? And being able to, you know, withstand the, um, you know, the, um, the difficulties of, of going the distance again and again and again, and being able to move through entire seasons of a career where, you know, you're going to have dry spells, you know, it's like, I compare it a lot to, so I, I really am uh, into the outdoors and, and hiking, backpacking, that, that kind of thing. And I always compare 
screenwriting career to that where it's like, man, some days you're just getting your butt kicked because it's just all up the mountain, right? And every step is torture. But then there's other times where things are going well um, and you know your trail conditions are beautiful and sunny, the weather is great, you're headed downhill and suddenly you're flying. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it really does move in seasons and having the endurance and the emotional resilience to um, get yourself through that is really a, you know, it's an underrated uh, part, I think, of, of the job uh, that I think not enough writers talk about how important that is. So what's one of your proudest moments in your career? I would say I, I, certainly the, you know, the first thing we sold, um, David and Goliath, was absolutely a high point. Um, you know, because that was still, I was at a time in my life where, you know, I hadn't ever really made a lot of money and <laughs> that was a big deal. Um, yeah. And, you know, I got to call my parents and tell them the good news that this thing that I had been trying to do for, you know, at that point, I think it was, I was about three to four years in. Um, but yeah, you know, they had been on the receiving end of enough phone calls where I was down to, you know, down to my last pack of ramen mm. and having to figure out if, if this was the month I was coming home or not. Um, but to be able to call them and tell them, Hey guys, uh, Kenny and I just, just sold David and Vlad to Sony. Um, that was a really, really, you know, talk about high points. You only get a couple of those in your life. And that was a really special one. Mm. Um, I would say another one was, would be, uh, probably being able to produce all of our, uh, all of our episodes on SEAL team. That was a huge, huge highlight. Uh, just the, the level of craft that, that crew and cast brought to the the material was so incredibly high. Um, and, you know, obviously it's your, your dream as a writer to, and I don't know, maybe, maybe some writers just write to write. Um, but I like to write and then make it and being able to see our, you know, be on set for, um, cameras rolling on our words and, you know, being able to look at the line of description in here that says, you know, this, this firefight happens or this vehicle blows up this, you know, this piece of action, uh, and then getting to actually see that executed on set with a world-class cast and crew performing it was just a dream come true. I mean, it's literally the, that show was so fun to make, uh, you know, of course, being a guy every, you know, a lot of guys grow up playing army and, you know, that was a huge, you know, I always love playing with GI Joes and being able to actually kind of in real life, get to see that happen on a set uh, yeah. with words that I wrote was just a, that was quite an experience. So how did you get that project in the first place? How did that start? That was uh, so that came about our uh, a mentor of, of Kenny and I's named John Glenn, um, who we had known um, probably since it was a little bit after we sold David and Goliath. Uh, we had, we shared a manager with him. And our manager um, just kind of connected uh, John with Kenny and I and said, you know, you guys, both of you have a lot of the, you know, very similar ideas. You, you think differently. You write similarly. You guys should get together and see what happens. And uh, yeah, it's been one of the most rewarding relationships I, I have in, in, have had in my career. Um, John is a fantastic mentor. Uh, he's an incredibly capable writer and um, the level of professionalism that he brings to everything he does was really inspiring for Kenny and I, um, and has, we've learned a lot from him. Um, so yeah, he was brought in to run SEAL team in season two and he hired Kenny and I on, uh, and brought us onto the, into the writer's room as staff writers. And we were on there for three seasons until, um, 
up until executive story editor. So um, yeah, it was, John brought us in and then, um, yeah, we were able to be part of the team for three years. Wow. Oh, what was one of something, one of the challenges that you guys faced working on the script and the story? Well, for, for that show, um, it required a lot of research. Uh, obviously, you know, I, I have no military experience, um, neither does Kenny. Um, we were really blessed to work with a lot of uh, technical advisors and we actually had, you know, X, a couple of, or a couple of Navy SEALs in the room, in the writer's room. Um, so we benefit, benefited quite a bit from their knowledge. Um, but certainly portraying that world and especially the, at a character level, the emotional reality of what it's like to be a warfighter um, you know, specifically in this era, you know, kind of post 9-11 um, until now, that generation of, of special operators has experienced some really unique things that you really have to, um, you know, there's, there's no way to fake that. And it's a very, obviously a very uh, specialized and, and tight-knit community that you don't want to let down because you're telling their stories. And for, 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 you know, folks like Kenny and I, who, you know, like, of course, are, we have family members who've served and, you know, both grew up very patriotic. Um, it's really important to get that right. Uh, so I think, you know, I think we were able to do that. Um, Kenny and I were really uh, blessed to um, co-write with another, one of the writers, Spencer. Um, in season two, we did a, an episode about, uh, specifically about PTS and, um, you know, just what it's like for these guys to get out uh, or who are medically retired from the SEAL teams, um, what life is like for them afterwards, and oftentimes the obstacles that they face, um, which for some of them are, are just insurmountable and they end up taking their own lives. Um, so that was a really powerful episode to work on. And I can say, you know, the, the feedback we've gotten from folks who either have family members who've gone through that or who have been through it themselves uh, was so resoundingly positive and um, that was really just, uh, it was such an honor to be able to, to tell that story. I would love to jump back into your routine for just a little bit and, and kind of like walk me through like what a normal day looks like for you. Yeah, I mean, a normal day uh, very often um, involves Kenny and I touching base early in the day, you know, between eight or nine, um, just to keep, you know, to kind of, keep track of everything that we have going on um, to give you a glimpse into what that looks like. You know, right now we are, we probably have seven or eight pieces of active business, um, whether that is pitches, um, TV pilots, uh, you know, TV pitches, feature pitches, or feature scripts at various levels. Um, and that level of, of kind of, execution and generation um, is really meant to hopefully bulwark against the, you know, just how long it takes deals to come together these days. Um, it's something we've noticed post COVID. Um, it, you know, studios are asking for stuff that is fully packaged. They want an entire movie together, not just, you know, they don't just buy scripts anymore or they don't just buy pitches. So, you know, that means it's going to take you an extra six months to a year. Um, to get an actress or actor attached, get a director attached, um, you know, and that's after getting a, you know, ideally some, you know, a high level producer attached or a fan, you know, somebody at the studio who likes it. Um, so yeah, it's just things, things have been taking a lot longer. So we 
have been generating a lot more stuff and just trying to keep everything moving at once. Uh, so yeah, usually Kenny and I will touch base uh, early in the day, and then I will you know write throughout the morning. Um, you know, for the past couple of years, my wife has been working from home, so you know I get to have lunch with her, which is great, and we take our dog for a walk, and then um, you know usually I'll do some some form of workout. I find that that is kind of essential for um, just for being able to sit at, at a desk for you know, six to seven hours a day and write, um, for me to stay sane, I have to move my body. <laughs> so yeah, either, you know, go for a run or lift weights or whatever. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, that's usually, usually done by six or seven. Um, and that's, you know, that's the schedule when I'm kind of home and, you know, we're not, Kenny and I are not, uh, we're not on a show right now. Um, if we were on a show, then obviously you would be spending the bulk of your day, uh, in the writer's room. And during COVID, you know, we were on staff during the first year of, of COVID. And, you know, so half the day was spent in a writer's room on Zoom, um, which can be pretty tiring. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a lot more tiring than doing it in person. Um, so usually by that, you know, we, we kind of cut the hours down a little bit. So we did, you know, a, like a two and a half hour session in the morning and a two hour session um, in the afternoon, as opposed to if you're in person on a writing staff, usually the day is a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the rough, you know, roughly what it's like. What do, what do writer's rooms normally look like for you? Uh, look, it's a, I mean, I, you know, coming from features, I was never a huge, you know, uh, working on a writing staff never really interested me. Um, I was always more of a, I want to, you know, kind of lone wolf this and do it myself. Of course, obviously then I got a writing partner, so right. I haven't written anything alone for a long time. Um, but I found it to be incredibly rewarding uh, and just an immense amount of fun to, you know, if, and obviously this is the caveat, we had a great staff on SEAL team and, you know, we really became a family over the course of the years we were there. Um, and it, it, again, like any great partnership, like I, like I talked about with Kenny, it really is a phenomenon where the whole is, you know, better than the sum of its parts. And it really is kind of a magical, magical experience sometimes to all be to have a room full of really smart writers who are trying to crack, you know, one specific thing, whether it's, you know, a structural issue in an episode or a, a character beat or a storyline, whatever. And to kind of be a part of that, um, you know, it's almost like the, you kind of create a hive mind that, mm is able to solve stuff that, you know, you alone would never be able to do. So I think when writer's rooms are at their best, it's really a, a fantastic experience and, and really rewarding. And, you know, just given the volume of work that's necessary for, um, to produce a net, you know, 22 episodes of television, that's a lot of work, man. Uh, and so you, it really does require um, a lot of brains going into it. You know, when you hear about, folks like Aaron Sorkin who like single-handedly wrote entire seasons of the West Wing. I was like, man, that just is impossible without a ton of drugs. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's why we have writer's groups. Right. <laughs> uh, cool. Um, so I think we're going to wrap this up pretty soon, but do you have some, maybe some advice for writers? I know we talked a little bit about before, like kind of knowing, you know, knowing the difficulties that come with being a writer. Um, do you have any other maybe tips or 
advice for young writers? Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I think going back to the, you know, advice I referenced earlier, writers write, you know, mm-hmm. if uh, that really is the job and the only way to achieve kind of the level of, of proficiency that is going to allow you a career in this business, um, the only way to do that is work, you know, it's just to do it. Um, and I think, you know, uh, if I were to give advice to sort of my younger self as a writer, um, first and foremost would be to quit bad ideas faster. Um, I can't tell you how much time I wasted early on writing crappy ideas. And just because I'm stubborn, having to pound through it when it just wasn't there, there just wasn't a movie there, you know, or there just wasn't ever going to be anything great there. And of course, obviously the only way to learn that, unfortunately, is by making that mistake and (laughs) spending those weeks or months unnecessarily on something that, you know, never bore fruit. Um, But yeah, I think just being a little bit easier on myself and along myself to say like, sometimes if an idea isn't worth writing, you find out, you know, halfway through and it's okay to quit that. Like it's okay to, you know, move on to something else. Um, now, similarly, of course, sometimes you just, you really do just need to push through, um, to unlock, you know, some scene or piece of it that sort of puts the rest of the story in a new light and suddenly you get it. Um, so I realized there's two sides to that advice, but, um, I really do think, yeah, you know, early on, you know, it's, uh, just out of stubbornness, I probably spent some time on, on ideas that weren't worth that. How do you tell when? it's a bad idea when it's a good idea. You know, sometimes you just have to muscle through it to see if it's a good idea. Yeah, I guess, you know, maybe the only way to to learn that is to do it the hard way. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Did you have any other final thoughts or last things before we wrap this up? Anybody out there who's uh, kind of in their end of act two with their writing career and wondering if they're going to make it. um, Yeah, just uh, encouragement to keep on keeping on and it's a, it can be a lonely career for sure. So, you know, don't forget to, um, find kind of, uh, you know, folks around you who can support you and, and, uh, you know, if nothing else, at least take your mind off that too. All right, guys, thank you so much for watching this episode of about story podcasts. Uh, it was a pleasure and honor to have Jacob with us and we will see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.